Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. So, um, I am going to speak today about the treasures to be found in hiddenness. Like, everyone here has gone through seasons of feeling hidden. There are some of you right now who are smack bang in the center of obscurity. I know for me, I believe that I've spent most of my Christian life hidden. And some of you might see me at the front because where I do the announcements and all of that stuff. And you might think I'm not hidden, but I have felt hidden for easily maybe 11 years. And I know compared to some of you, that seems like a week. And I really want to appreciate every single one of your journey. And I have so much value for it and God has so much value for it. And so as I just speak a little bit about my experience, please don't think that I'm in any way um, highlighting my experience as any more valuable than anyone else is sitting here. Um, Like when I actually became a Christian, I had no dreams. Like I'd come out of promiscuity and addictions and I had long lost the capacity to dream. I dreamt for big things when I was a teenager. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a fashion designer and I had all these big hopes. But then when you actually end up spending your days and your nights like smoking weed or getting high or sleeping around, like it actually strips you of any ambition. And when you're off your trolley, you have like this fake ambition, like, well, we can do this and well, we can do that. But actually it's so temporary. But when your buzz wears off, like any capacity that you had to dream wears off as well because you live a life of passivity and you live a life of lethargy. And when I became a Christian, I had no dreams at all. I was just grateful that there was a hope where I wouldn't hurt anymore on the inside. And I was just so grateful to have Jesus and so grateful to be given this fresh start that I didn't care about dreaming. I didn't need dreaming. I just wanted peace. And so... God took me on this journey where I just fell in love with him and he he helped me. He renewed my mind and he changed the way that I thought. And he just showed me that the life that I used to lead um, wasn't going to lead to anywhere. But in his love, I could just grow and I could have peace and I could have joy. And the more that I fell in love with him, I just wanted to serve him. Like I literally, in my reciprocation of his love for me and his rescuing me, I just wanted to serve him. And because my walk with him was so exciting, like I just wanted to pour out, like everywhere that I went, if I, you know, I got the job when I became a believer, I got the job as a teacher and I was on fire for the Lord. And so I was, you know, like praying for all my students, praying with all my students and seeing miracles. Like my dreams were for other people. And, you know, I remember coming to this church and then realizing that obviously we were going to be evicted and then joining the setup and takedown team. Like wherever there was a need, I was just like, yep, I'll dive in. Hosting, you need someone to host? I'll dive in. Like, okay, you need someone to do that? I'll dive in. Like everything that I knew was about serving. And I did not have dreams for myself. 
But the thing is, when you fall in love with Jesus and you hang out with him and you get to know him deeper and deeper and you're in his presence and you begin to conceive and you begin to grow and your, and your eyes begin to see things that are beyond your circumstances. And all of a sudden, these dreams would begin to be stirred up within me. And I would like, I still wouldn't have dreams for myself. I didn't really know what I was called to, but I was sure that there was more out there, but I didn't really care. I just wanted Jesus. And then when the Lord in 2010 said, Bobby, you're going to resign. Um, I, I still didn't know what that meant because at that time I had definitely lost my passion for teaching. And, um, at one point it, around 2008, like I was so like seeing so many miracles at school um, and seeing so, so much happening in my school that my old pastor would talk about joining the ministry. And I'd think, I don't want to join the ministry. Like I'm called to the marketplace because it was so fun. But then around that period, the more I fell in love with Jesus and the more I began to hang around with him, I was being stirred up for ministry and I still didn't know what that looked like. And then I came and joined this church. And as I said, I just kept serving and I kept serving. And then a couple of years later, God says, leave your job. And so I resign. And I didn't know that that was him beginning to take me on a journey to prepare me for ministry. All it looked like to me was just obedience. He said, resign. And so I resigned. And then I began to just live each day obeying him. And then I remember I was so happy just serving him. And then two years later, we, we had like these prophets come um, to Holiday Inn and I got this prophetic word. And this prophetic word um, said, it said loads of things, but this one thing that it said was that you are happy being where you are, like you're so content being where you are. But the Lord is going to take you to the front where you didn't even want to go. And I remember thinking, okay. And then I just came back and just carried on picking up boxes. And I carried on hosting and I carried on doing everything that I was doing. But something had changed on the inside of me because this word had been spoken over me. And this God-sized dream was now beginning to brew on the inside of me. And I would have like these very faint visions of me being in front of the masses and preaching. And every single time I'd have that vision, I would rebuke it because I thought it was the devil. And I would think it's selfish ambition. And I would think that it's me self-seeking. And so I would rebuke that. But then I would keep going back to like picking up boxes. And as the years went by and the more I began to hang out with Jesus, the more those God-sized dreams would keep getting bigger and bigger. And then I would find myself wrestling because then I'd go through periods where as I was serving in church and as I was doing all of these things, even though my heart was totally invested and committed in doing those things but then there was this thing inside of me that said there is so much more out there but I remained hidden just like many of you who know that you are called to more 
You've had prophetic words spoken over your life. You've got God-sized dreams that are brewing on the inside of you and they are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and your circumstances don't look like those God-sized dreams are ever going to come to pass. And some of you may be in a hiddenness because of your own passivity. You might be in hiddenness because you don't have value for those God-sized dreams. You don't have value for those prophetic words. But oftentimes, you are in the wilderness and you are in hiddenness because God has placed you there. Or your circumstances have placed you there. Or you find yourself there because of sickness. Or you find yourself there because of all heaps of reasons and actually you don't even want to be there. If it were down to you, you would leave the hiddenness and you would go after those God-sized dreams that are exploding on the inside of you. But God's saying, wait. He's saying, wait. And I really just want to bring a word of encouragement today. That in hiddenness, there is treasure. There is so much treasure. There is gold And if God has you in a season of hiddenness, it's not because he is denying you. It's not because he is punishing you, but he is preparing you. And he is preparing you for something that is so mind-blowingly delicious that if you don't allow him to perfect what he wants to perfect inside of you, then you will never, ever be able to steward where he wants to take you. And I know that this is quite a simple message. I know this is something that you may have heard before. But the wrestle that we all face on the inside of us for more, for more, for the promised land, is a wrestle that returns to us again and again and again. It's a reoccurring wrestle because we have been created for greatness. And there is a desire within us to be seen, to be significant, to be discovered, to be valued. It's the way God has created us. And those desires, there's nothing wrong with those desires. But only God knows when we are equipped enough to handle the fulfillment of our desires. When we go through spiritual winters, it's then that we actually discover who we really are. This author called Alicia Britt-Cholet, she's written a couple of books on um, being anonymous. And she makes a couple of very, very profound statements. She says, when the, what the plenty of summer hides... The nakedness of winter reveals infrastructure. She says the sleepy days of winter hide us so that the seductive days of summer will not ruin us. You know, when we're walking in abundance, we can unknowingly put our trust on our gifting on our circumstances, on our money, on our salary, on our security, on our talents, on our friends, on everything else but God. And because there's abundance and because our circumstances are blossoming, we can fail to see that actually our infrastructure isn't built upon God. 
And so God actually allows spiritual winters. He allows those places where we're not bearing fruit seemingly so that we can actually look at our infrastructure. We can allow God to actually test our heart. We can ask ourselves, what have we truly built our lives on? Have we built our lives on sinking sand or have we built our lives upon the rock? And it's these spiritual winters that are actually blessings that come to reveal what we've actually put our trust in so that we can see how deep our roots really go. So God can develop our character. It's where we mature spiritually. It's where he unveils the fears that we're walking in, the wrong belief systems that we're walking in. It's where he shapes our thinking. It's where he replaces our worldly thinking or our dysfunctional thinking with heavenly culture. It's in the barrenness. It's in the winter. It's in the wilderness that he actually renews our mind mind. It's here that he exposes our doubts and our unbelief. It's here that we're exposed to our actual weaknesses, where we have nothing to hide behind. We can't hide behind our gifts. We can't hide behind all those things that in the summers of our Christianity, we can easily hide behind. We are naked and we are vulnerable. In Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 3, In the message translation, it says this, keep and live out the entire commandment that I'm commanding you today so that you'll live and prosper and enter and own the land that God promised to your ancestors. Remember every road that God led you on for those 40 years in the wilderness, pushing you to the limit, testing you so that he would know what you were made of, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He put you through hard times. He made you go hungry. Then he fed you with manna, something neither you nor your parents knew anything about. So you would learn that men and women don't live by bread only. We live by every word that comes from God's mouth. God allows us time in the wilderness. He allows us time being hidden, being obscure. So he can test our hearts. So he can see, do we really, really put our trust in him? Or are we busy putting our trust in other things? And we have to trust. We have to trust that any gift that he's given us, any anointing that he's placed on our life, we have to trust that it is only through him that we can ever steward that gift. It's only through him that we can ever walk in the anointing that he has released upon us. Outside of him, that gift will ruin us. It will cripple us. Like I watched this documentary, um, excuse me. I watched this documentary with Alexander McQueen. Um, Many of you probably know who he is, but he he was a British designer from Stratford, East London. And um, he's such a genius. Oh my gosh, what a genius. Like his ability to see and what he visualized and his capacity to make the most incredible clothing like utter genius and he he kind of gave himself to fashion design when he was around 16 and he went and trained at Savile Row and even when he was young 
in this documentary, like you can see that there was so much darkness that surrounded him. Like he led quite a dark life and he had loads of things that would influence the way that he thought. And through his gift, through fashion, he would release the thoughts that he was having. Like the way, the freedom that he had came out through his gift. And when he first began to... um, like he first began going into, thanks babes, going into uh, fashion, um, he didn't care what people thought of him. Like he was the bad boy of fashion and he really didn't care what people thought. When he'd have his, when he became a designer and he had his first few shows, like the way he would strut that runway at the end as a designer, it was like he, he had full freedom to be who he was. And then the more he got discovered, and at one point he was appointed as creative director for Givenchy, which is a French fashion house. And as he began to work for Givenchy, it was the first ever time he had money. And up until that point, even though he was having these amazing fashion collections at London Fashion Week, he didn't have money for food. Like he literally would be on the dole. He wasn't allowed to show his face on camera because then he would have got caught by obviously the local authorities because he's not meant to be doing what he's doing because he's on the dole, he's collecting benefits. And so first time he goes to Givenchy, he's got all this money now and he gets bigger and bigger. He gets more and more famous. He becomes less and less of himself. His gift literally ruined him. He did not have the character to walk in the high places that God had ordained for him. In the end, he killed himself. In the end, he took his own life because though he had this gift and though he had the whole world watching him and he had money and he'd had all this liposuction and he looked the way he thought he wanted to look, but he was so empty because he didn't know God. And we are no safer because we know God. Every single one of us is at risk of being driven by our gift. Every single one of us is at risk of putting our hope and our strength and all of our value in our gift or in our anointing instead of on God and God alone. And this is why he allows us time in the hiddenness because he is shaping our character. He is molding us. He is preparing us for a work which is so big so much bigger than us. Sometimes we have these dreams inside of us. And like I said, I didn't dream for myself. And when I heard that word, that God was going to take me to the front where I didn't even want to go, and I'd have these visions of me preaching, I would rebuke those because as I was in the wilderness, I thought that I was there to be humbled. And I was. I was totally there to be humbled. I was totally there to have my character grown and to be developed. Like I was yielded to all of that. In fact, I was so yielded that when God would begin to give me these dreams, I would rebuke them because I would think that they can't be from God because there's no way I can stand before the masses because then I'll be stealing God's glory. But the crazy thing is he takes us into the hiddenness and into obscurity so that we get so stripped of all that we are, 
everything that we are, everything that we could ever place value in. He strips us of accolades. He strips us of everything that we could ever find any value in. And he confirms deep within our spirit that you are nothing without me. You are nothing without me. And as he renews our mind and as he begins to show us and reveal to us that we can't live by bread alone, but it's him and his word and all that he is. And he's the one that we need. And as he begins to reveal his love to us and as we begin to grow and and find our foundation and build our house on the rock and become what he wants us to become on the inside, then he says, now you can shine your light. Now you can shine your light because now you understand that the light within you is not your light. It's my light. It's the light of Christ. Christ within you, the hope of glory. And he takes us into hiddenness so that we would be under no illusions that the light that we carry is not our own. The light that we carry is his. And he will take months, years, decades to do that inside of us. He is in no hurry. The greatest example that we have of hiddenness is Jesus. He was hidden for 30 years. 30 years. He knew he was God. He knew his calling. He knew. But even though he knew, he yielded himself to the process. He yielded himself to that purging, that pruning, because he understood that that wilderness and that hiddenness wasn't about him. He knew that what he was being prepared for was going to save mankind. And when God showed me or gave me that word that he was going to take me to the front, I still for a very long time, didn't receive that word, didn't even know it was going to come to pass, didn't even know that my circumstances would change. Because he had to let that word develop inside of me. And he had to develop my capacity to carry such a thing. And over time, I began to realize that actually, he's not going to take me to the front for myself. It's not for me. It's for an entire generation. You don't get prepared for an entire generation overnight. You have to go through some stuff before you can be prepared for an entire generation. Jesus was hidden for 30 years before he was released into ministry. And sometimes we just don't realize that we are being prepared for a calling that is not about us. Yes, God's going to use us. Yes, we're going to be blessed. Yes, we're going to be everything that God has called us to be. Yes, it's going to feel amazing. But no, it's not for you. It's for a people group or a community or a generation. It's for eternity. And it's worth being yielded to. It's worth being hidden for. Angie's already heard this. A few of you might have heard this, so please forgive me. But when I um, published Sacred Sexuality, I 
like I asked the Lord just before I started writing the book that why, um, even though I've been carrying this message for ever since I got saved, which is going to be 14 years this year, like why have you not allowed me to preach the message about sacred sexuality, even though I've been carrying it, even though it's my testimony, like why has it lay dormant for all these years? And he said to me that, Bobby, if you had taught people about this topic of sacred sexuality any earlier, you would have been teaching people that I deliver people from lust so that they can be holy, so that they can walk in purity. And he said, as important as that is, that's not why I deliver people from lust. I deliver people from lust to lead them into love. And he said, and you would have told my church that I'm setting them free for purity and holiness. And he was like, Bobby, purity and holiness is a byproduct of love. And it has taken you over a decade to understand just a little bit of what love looks like. And now I can trust you with the body of Christ. Now I can trust you with a generation because now you have a little bit of an understanding of what it means to walk in love. And sometimes we have all kinds of reasons why we think God is keeping us in the wilderness or in obscurity and in that hidden place. But it all comes down to love. All of it, everything, every single thing comes down to love. Our, all of our time on earth comes down to love. Everything we do boils down to love. Do we have love? Are we made in the image of love? Are we, are we, are we radiating love? And God will have us hidden for decades because within us, he is shaping an understanding of love, that we would be vessels of love, that we would be conformed to the image of love. Yet it's still difficult, even knowing all of that. Sometimes there's this crazy wrestle between what you've heard God say about who you are and before you actually become who he said you are. So when I got that word, I, can, I wrestled with that. And when church would get hard, and when I felt that, God, I shouldn't be picking up boxes anymore, I would beg him, like, I just want to unhear that word. I don't want to hear that word. I want to pretend that I never, ever heard that word. Because now I know there's greatness. Because in that word, it said that though you are content where you are, but in your heart, you knew there was more. And what, did I, what, what do we do with that wrestle where you want to be faithful where you are and you want to give everything where you are, but you know there's more. And there's that tension that comes in. And you're pulled. You're like, what do I do? 
I don't want to be walking in selfish ambition. I don't want to be striving. I don't want to open doors for myself. Because the truth is that none of us have the capacity to walk through any doors that we open for ourselves. Without the character that God wants to develop in us, none of us have the capacity to walk through doors that we open for ourselves. And sometimes we, in our desperation to be everything that God has called us to be, we want people to promote us. It's pointless. It's pointless to put your hope in people discovering you, people promoting you. Because if man promotes you, man can demote you. And only God can bring promotion. And sometimes we get frustrated and sometimes we have offense in our hearts and sometimes we're like, you can't see me. But God has us hidden. So if God has us hidden and we're striving to be seen, then we will never make it where we strive to take ourselves or we expect man to take us. God wants us to yield to the process. In 2 Timothy 2.20-21, in the message translation, it says, in a well-furnished kitchen, there are not only crystal goblets and silver platters, but waste cans and compost buckets, some containers used to serve fine meals, others to take out the garbage, become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. Every one of our gift is to bless someone else. Like, may we yield to the process where God will shape us so that our gift can be used to bless someone else. And it says, become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift. Imagine being so flexible and malleable in God's hands that he can use you in any way he chooses. That we've been so yielded to his voice, that we've spent so much time in his presence, in the secret place where he is more than enough. And when he says move 10 degrees, we move 10 degrees. When he says talk to this person, talk to that person. When, you, when he says go here, you go there because you are an instrument within his hands that he can use in such a fine-tuned way because you know him. And you have yielded yourself to being hidden where he can use you in such an intricate way. That kind of development only comes in the hidden places. But the wrestle is real. It doesn't take away the wrestle as you're being yielded, as you're being molded, and you've, then you've got these God-sized gifts, um, God-sized dreams that are stirring up on the inside of you, and they're always there. They're always there. And the more you hang out with him, and the more you're, you're becoming like him, those God-sized dreams are getting bigger and bigger and bigger because he's the author of them. So that wrestle is constant. And for me, 
the place of victory in all of that has been Matthew 6.33. Seeking him first and his kingdom and all of his righteousness and all other things shall be added unto me. That is the place. That's the place where we find respite. That's the place where we're like, it really doesn't matter. Actually, none of it matters. If those God-sized dreams never come to pass, it really doesn't matter. Because I've already hit the jackpot. I've already got the one. I've already found the treasure. And you begin to recognize that the beauty isn't where you've been positioned. The beauty is the one with whom you're journeying. That's where the beauty is in the one with whom we journey. And when we yield ourselves to the process, we find that actually all of those things become secondary. And the only thing that really matters is that we are with him. That we abide in him and he abides in us. But then those God-sized dreams are still there. And then you find that you have become so used to yielding, so, so used to being laid down and so used to waiting that you end up being filled at times with a fear of stepping out. Because you're so used to dying to self that you actually overdie, overkill. Because now God's like, I've made you into what I want you to be for this season. I've humbled you. I've developed your character. Now it's time to fly. But then you're so used to being parked at the harbor that you don't even know how to walk on water. And God's saying, now's your time to walk on water. Now is your time to walk on water. But then you're like, oh my gosh, but is it me? Is it selfish ambition? Then you have that flashback of that vision. And like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Because you're seeing these God-sized dreams again and you're worrying that, is that me? Am I going to nick your glory? Am I going to steal your glory, Jesus? But now that Jesus has shaped us, now that we are exactly where he wants us to be, we can be confident. Now we can step out. Now when he begins to shape our thinking where we're not thinking worldly anymore, we're not thinking small anymore, we're thinking kingdom and we're thinking like he's thinking. Now he's like, now run. And even though we're having these doubts, well, oh my gosh, but what if I run ahead of you? What if I have, like, what if I'm dreaming too big? Like, what if, what if I'm, you know, trying to put the spotlight on myself? Like, what if I'm striving and God's like, it's all good. Because now you're thinking like me. And if you're thinking too big, I can rein you in. What I can't do is if you're thinking too small, I can't break you out of that. If you're thinking with a poverty mindset, I can't give you riches. If you don't know how big I am, you're paralyzed. And this is why he allows us to be in the hiddenness because he wants to renew our mind. In the hiddenness, we see how small our circumstances are and how big our God is. And the more we yield ourselves to a heavenly culture and the more that we yield ourselves to his love and his goodness and his kind intent towards us, then we have full permission to step out. We have full permission to be all that he has called us to be without fearing that we're going to steal his glory. We can't steal his glory. And even if we get it wrong, because we're stepping out in sonship, he can just reign us in. It's not a big deal. 
And I agree wholeheartedly, as I said earlier, it's not for us to open our own doors, ever. See, when God then took me in this season of where he was like, I could feel him like stirring me up about my identity. And he began showing me that I had been boxed in, that in my hiddenness and in my yielding and in my wanting to die to self, I was no longer who I once was, but not in a good way. I'd lost my fire. I'd been so used to yielding and so used to doing what I thought was humble, wanting to be humbled again and again and again that I just wanted to be in the corner now. If anyone's seen Dirty Dancing, there's this strap line that says, nobody puts baby in the corner. And it was almost like nobody puts Bobby in the corner. But I had put myself in the corner because now I was, that's where I was. I was in the corner and I was fine. And God was like, Bobby, I need you to come out. I need you to be wild again. I need you to be full of confidence again. I want you to have your fire again. And I wrestled and I wrestled and I was thinking, but what if I'm trying to put the spotlight on myself? What if I'm drawing man to me instead of to you? And then he's like, you can't do that. And someone came to me in that season and they said, Bobby, I just want to say something to you. Yep. God is not intimidated by you being amazing. And the crazy thing, sometimes in the church, if we dazzle, it can't be handled. Sometimes, and I know sometimes there are people that um, might be putting the spotlight on themselves, but if you're yielded to God and he's central to everything you're doing, he's the lover of your soul. When you shine, you're shining him. You're glorifying him. That's what we were created for, to shine his light. We're not meant to put our light under a bushel. But he allows us to be hidden for a season so that we understand that our light, that light is not of our own. It is him. And in the brokenness, and as we yield to him, and in the cracks of our life, and in the cracks of our laid down lives, he is able to shine bright as we become jars of clay. But then as we begin to shine, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be fearful about shining our light. Am I too much? Am I too much for the church? Am I too much for the people around me? Am I too much? Am I too wild? Am I too big? Am I too bright? No, you're not. You're not. You were created to shine. But in order to shine, you have to yield to the hiddenness. In order to truly shine bright, you have to be, you have to be willing to be obscure. You have to be willing to yield to that process. But even when that's going on, there's still that wrestle inside of you that says there's more. And for me, as the years have gone by, and particularly like two years ago, I felt like I was ready. I felt like, God, I just want to preach. I just want to preach. Like I literally would ache. I would ache on the inside of me because I know I'm called to preach. And even though I've denied it for a very long time in false humility, I know I'm called to preach. 
And then I would have these like aches inside of me. And I remember this one night when I was at my pan cutting table and I was just sewing and I was listening to a message from Bethel. And I literally had a physical ache and it'd been there for about two days. And I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, if I don't preach, I'm going to die. And then Chris Vallotton started sharing. And just before he started the preach, he said that there are people that are here, obviously at Bethel, and there are people that are listening online. And if they don't preach, they're going to die. And I'm going to commission them. And then he commissioned everyone who was feeling like that. So then I lifted up my arms in my kitchen and I received that commissioning. The following morning, I was back at my kitchen table again, doing more work. And I was listening to a message by Patricia King. And she said, I feel I need to commission people that are called to preach. So then she commissioned those that are called to preach. That same evening, a third preacher, I don't even know what his name was. He did exactly the same thing. And I was commissioned to preach three times in a 24-hour period. And then I came back to church and I picked up boxes. And this is what I want to encourage you guys. Take delight in serving. Take delight in where God has you. Even when those pangs are on the inside of you. And even when it's a wrestle. And even when you feel like if I don't step into my calling, I'm going to die. And sometimes you have to go through that again and again. And you have to still come back to where God has you. And you come back and you give your all and you do it joyfully and you do it as an offering before the Lord. You give him everything. And there are some of you here, you have got God-sized dreams. But you're not doing what you should be doing now. You're not yielding where you're at now. And you want all the things that God is showing you. But he needs to see your obedience now. He needs to see your obedience with what you've already been given. And sometimes when we don't see the things that we want, when we see our promised land and we're like, that's where I want to be. That's what I see. That's what I see with the eyes of my heart. We fail to recognize that all around us are things that God wants us to step into. Because the thing that we want to step into, that we're waiting for someone else to notice us and promote us into, will not happen until we rise up and take authority where we already are. And when God said those words to me that, Bobby... You know, through that person, when they said, God is not intimidated by you being amazing. I remember God saying to me that, Bobby, I don't want you to open any doors. You don't need to go to the next level. No one needs to promote you. 
All I need you to do is be faithful where you are. Look at what's in your hand. Look around you. Look at the ground that I've already given you. What are you doing with that ground? You know, so many people want a title. So so many people want to be made into a leader with a title. A leader is simply influence. If you have influence, you are a leader. What are you doing with your influence? Where you are right now, what are you doing with that influence? What are you doing with what's in your hand now? What are you doing with your gifts now? Because some may feel that you're called to the front. And you probably are. But what are you doing when you hear there's a need at the back? What are you doing when you hear that there is a need at the back in creche? There is a need at the back in hosting. There is a need at the back with the youth. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your gift now? Because if you can't steward the influence that you have got now at this level, you will not be able to firstly be promoted to the next level. And even if you get promoted to the next level, you won't be able to steward it. You won't have the yieldedness. You won't have the humility. You won't have the sacrificial heart. So God gives us these God-sized dreams But at the same time, he wants us to bloom in the wilderness. He wants us to bloom in our hidden places. When I went to Israel um, earlier on this year, I remember going to the Holocaust Museum. And um, such an amazing place. And I remember one of the things that struck me like crazy was um, how many of the Jews... They would, they would have music nights, like they would paint and they would hide and educate their children with the best education they could find. This is in the concentration camps during the Holocaust. This is what Jews who knew that they are likely to go to the gas chamber, whose children are likely to go to the gas chamber, they continued to bloom in the concentration camps. They refused to settle for death. They refused to behave as if they didn't have a future. They were faced with death. They couldn't even know if the next day was going to come. Yet they took everything that was within their hands and they put it to use. Everything. Whether they had a teaching gift, whether they had a music gift, whether they had um, an art gift, a gift of encouragement. They sewed that into one another. They understood that even though it may look like death is at their door, but they lived as if they had a future. And for some, because you haven't got what you think you want, because you are not at the promised land, 
you're refusing to bloom. You're going on as if you have no future. But in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Everything that God has placed inside of us, the dreams that he's placed inside of us, we can trust God. He will give us the future that we have hoped for. But he is looking for us to flourish where we are. What are we doing with the season that we are in? What are we doing with the things that he has given us? And sometimes when we're not getting to the promised land, when we're not getting where we want to be, when our dreams and desires are not being fulfilled, sometimes we feel that what little we do have, we have to hold on to. Because what's going to happen to my calling? What's going to happen to me being who I want to be? What's going to happen to my timing? What's going to happen to my gifts? And we can get territorial. And we can get stingy and we can begin to strive. But I truly believe that there is so much treasure that even in the little, even when you are not where you want to be, but you're willing to give away what you have, There is so much treasure in that. The widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings, she literally just had enough food for her and her son. And when Elijah came along and said, give me that food basically, feed me first and then feed yourself and trust me, you will have more than enough. She wasn't even a believer. And she put her trust in what he said. And the word tells us that as he said, she did. She gave out of her small, small supply. Sometimes on our journey to what God has put inside of us and in our journey to be all that God has called us to, sometimes we're not willing to sow into the lives around us Because we think we haven't got enough. We think there's not enough to go around. We think that there's not enough space for everyone to dazzle, for everyone to to shine. But actually, it's when we yield ourselves to that process that says, actually, your breakthrough is my breakthrough. And you getting ahead is me getting ahead. And I'm going to rejoice where you're rejoicing. And I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to walk in fear. And I'm actually going to push you ahead. Wherever I might be, I'm going to push you ahead. That's where the breakthrough is. Like I remember around 2016, again, with all this stuff that was going on, brewing inside of me, where I felt like I was on the cusp of what God wanted to do in my life. And I remember... A young woman who was staying at my house for a little while. And the first day that she came over, um, she, she shared a prophetic word with me. And in this word, this word talks about this army rising up. Um, this army of spiritual parents rising up. And that these spiritual parents had been hidden. They'd been hidden for the longest time and they've learned how to love 
and they'd been so yielded to God and now they were being released. They were being released for the next generation to raise up the next generation, to raise them up and pour into them. And she said to me that you are one of those. And I said, praise God. But then I walked away and I was like, what? 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 Like, I was grieved. I was grieved because I was like, I've just spent 11 years being hidden. 11 years. Like, I feel like I'm the cusp of my destiny. And now you're telling me it was for the next generation and not for me. I remember being wounded like Jesus. I feel like I'm being shortchanged. And I'm just being real with you people. Like, I'm just being real. I want to read this scripture. Romans 5, 3 to 4. In the message. You got that there? (laughs) So this scripture that Tina found. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise, even when we're hemmed in with troubles, because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next in alert expectancy such as this. We're never left feeling shortchanged. We're never left feeling shortchanged when we purge ourselves to the process. And after I kind of got over myself, like, you know, after I was like, what, Lord, what? You mean all of this has been for the next generation? Then I was like, so be it. Fine. Because all I want you, Lord, all I want, Lord, is you. So if everything that I've been hidden for is for the next generation, then let's do this. And I remember looking for people to mentor. And I remember like ramping up and amping up what I already might do in my influence and going for gold because I was totally yielded to it. God, if I've been called to be a spiritual parent to the next generation, then yes and amen to that. And the actual word, Zarephath, where the widow of Zarephath Zarephath was from, Zarephath means refining. A refinery is a facility where raw materials are converted into valuable substance by having impurities removed. Whenever a material needs to have unwanted parts removed in order to be made into a usable product, it must be refined. For any of us to truly be refined into what God wants us to be, we have to be willing to give it away. We have to be willing to give it away so that everything that we are can actually be refined. We could have those impurities of selfish ambition and self-seeking and what about me, what about me being removed from us. That we would truly understand that it's not about us. Is about Jesus and about his purposes and about his glory and his goodness. That's where the beauty is. And as we yield to that, we do become refined. We do come out as pure gold. He is so faithful. 
when he takes us through the process, when he takes us through the wilderness, he's doing it in love. He's doing it in the most glorious love ever. Hebrews 6.12 says, Be like those who stay the course with committed faith. And then everything, and then get everything promised to them. If we can yield to those seasons of hiddenness, we will have everything God has promised. Everything. Everything. But even if we don't, it doesn't matter. Because if you yield to those winters and allow him to truly build your infrastructure so that your life is built not on sinking sand, but on the rock, then everything that you need and everything that you desire and everything that you could ever want has already been attained in him. And if we yield to the process that will take us to that place, then yes, we can be expectant for those promises to be fulfilled. But we've already won. We've already won. We're already already living an abundant life. We're living a powerful life. But in that place of intimacy with him, in that place of fruit, where you're blooming in the wilderness, you're blooming no matter what season you're in, whether you're in the mountaintops, whether you're in the valley lows, you are blooming because he is with you and you are with him. And the more that we become like him, the more we want to give it all away anyway. The more we don't care, the more we shine our light because we just want to show him off. We're compelled to be amazing. How can you not be amazing when you fall in love with Jesus? How can you hide once you fall in love with Jesus? But he allows the hiddenness for those seasons so that he can prepare us for the works that he has prepared even before the earth was created. That's heavyweight stuff. I mean, we're called to greatness. We are called to greatness. Do not underestimate what God has called you to. Even if you are picking up boxes, even if you are cleaning, even if you are doing what seems like the most boring, driest thing ever, know that what he is carving out on the inside of you is so beautiful and it is worthy of the process. It's worthy of being hidden for. It's worthy of the yielding because it's not for us. It's for a purpose which is so much bigger than us. And see, what we do in the hidden places gets exposed when we're put in public. If Jesus hadn't cultivated a life of prayer, and a life of the miraculous, and a life of communion with God, and leaning into God, and understanding the supernatural, if he hadn't have cultivated that in the hidden years, he wouldn't have been able to walk in that when he actually entered into ministry. Sometimes we think we're ready. We think we're ready. But if God puts some of us in public now, We won't last five minutes. 
we would not last five minutes. Because unless what we've done in private can withstand the glare of the public, unless you have enough conviction, enough authority, enough substance cultivated within you in the hidden places, then you will not make it in the promised land. And God is willing to take as long as it takes. I mean, he's all about patience and we're not. We want things done overnight. We think we're ready, so we're like, put us on the spotlight. But if he is taking time, it's because he is good and he is kind. And he is preparing us to not just be like, you know, something that comes and then goes. He's, he's, he's cultivating longevity within us so that we can finish the work that he has prepared us for. If Jesus hadn't yielded to the process, he probably wouldn't have made it to the cross. He was being prepared for Calvary. We must yield to the process so that we can bloom where he wants to take us. So that the fruit that people eat from our lives would be so good so good sometimes when we think that we're being hidden or we think we're being trained and we think it's for ourselves God's actually cultivating growing fruit inside of us that's going to be eaten by others and we don't want fruit that actually when they eat it they're like we want fruit that's ripe fruit that's sweet fruit that when someone eats it they get nourished they don't eat it and they're like oh that's a bit bitter They eat it and they feel deliverance. They sense hope. They sense love. They sense peace. They feel like they've had an encounter with Jesus when they eat the fruit of your life. And if we're not willing to yield to the process, then the fruit that we have to give to somebody is not ripe. Like I praise Jesus that he did not let me stand here when I thought it was about me. Like, praise God that he didn't use me the way he wanted, I wanted him to use me when I didn't realize that it was all about him. Everything finds itself in him. Everything. He is the author and finisher of all things. All the glory belongs to him. He is the one worth talking about. He is the one worth worshiping. He is the one that radiates the light. Only he is the image of God, the Father. And sometimes we're exposed to public places or we're exposed to influence and we don't know that. We don't realize in our inmost being that everything's about Jesus. And he allows us process until we get to that place where there is no mistaking that none of it is about us and all of it is about him. So don't be dismayed if you are in process. You are being beautified. You are becoming more and more like Jesus. You are conforming to his image and there is no delay. 
Trust him. Trust him in every season. Trust him that he's creating within you a destiny which is so wonderful. And even though you might look around and you might see everyone else climbing up the calling ladder and flourishing and blossoming and you seem to be paralyzed at the bottom, do not be dismayed. Do not think that you have been overlooked. Do not feel as if you have been ignored or you have not been discovered. Do not think that you are unqualified. Do not think that you are inadequate. Just know that you are being prepared and you are being created for a work which is so much bigger than anything you could ever imagine. And it is something so beautiful and majestic and worthy of partnering with God. In worship, I felt God was just wanting to release expectation. And Geeti, I actually thought of you like I was grateful that you are here today. And then I felt the presence of God come. And I felt the Lord wanted to explode expectation inside your soul. And not just inside your soul, but everyone that we can expect greatness from God. We can expect beyond our wildest dreams. And I know this day has gone on forever, so please forgive me, but we're going to break bread. And I'm going to ask Andrew and Linda and Udoka to come and bring the communion. And I want you to consider some things. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as well, please. I want you to consider some things. If you feel as if you are in this season of hiddenness, I want you to think about bringing everything before the cross. I want you to think about bringing before the cross those places of offense and disappointment and those places of frustration and those places where you may have put an expectation on someone else to promote you. You may be disappointed with God. You might feel overlooked. You might feel as if you've been shortchanged. You might feel forgotten. Bring everything before him. Bring everything before the cross. And if you are on your mountaintop, thanks, Andrew. If you're on your mountaintop, I want you to consecrate your gifts. I want you to ask yourself, what have I built my life on? Where is my hope? Is it in my circumstances? Is it in everything going well? Am I putting my hope and my trust and my security in those things? Bring your gift and lay it at the cross. Wherever you are, whatever you've been wrestling with, bring it all to the cross. I want you to think about what's in your hand. Think about the things that are in your hands, the resources, the tools, the passions, 
the desires right now that are in your hands. Think about the influence that you have with the people around you. What's in your hands. And bring them all before the cross. I want you to consider what ground has God given you that you're not yet possessing? Where has he taken you right now? Where has he positioned you that because you've been busy with your eyes on the promised land, you have failed to see where he's actually positioned you? I want you to consider where you have become stagnant and where you have stopped believing for breakthrough where you've actually become so disappointed that you think nothing is going to change and you are in a place of disappointment. I want you to consider what lies you have believed about what's going to happen and what's not going to happen, about who you are and what you aren't. I want you to bring those lies and lay them at the cross. Lord Jesus, King of glory, we bring ourselves before you. Whether we are in the place of hiddenness or whether we are in the promised land, we bring our lives before you. We bring everything before you. These God-sized dreams, the process. We bring where we are right now before you. We bring our frailties before you. We bring our disappointments before you. We bring our questions before you. We bring our lack of trust before you, God. We bring everything before you. We bring that offense before you, God. Those places where we have looked outside of you to satisfy us outside of you to bring us what we think we need, outside of you to find value and and significance and fulfillment. We bring all of that before you at the cross. Lord, we bring you our gifts. We bring you every anointing. We bring you every mantle that you've placed upon us that we are yet growing into. We bring before you, Father, every talent, We bring before you every resource. We bring before you every sphere of influence that you have given us, every opportunity you have given us. We bring before you our relationship with you. And we thank you. We thank you because at the cross, you went through it all. You gave up your life so that we could have a life of abundance so that we could bring all of this and just lay it down at your feet and give you all of this stuff because your yoke is light. And we can bring all of this before you and we do right now. We lay it at the cross. And as we eat the bread, we receive abundance. Just start to eat the bread. We receive the fullness of life. We receive your perfect timing. We receive every aspect of our destiny. We receive the fullness of that which you died to give us. We receive your resurrection power. 
we, we receive a position as your bride who is going to be spotless and beautiful before you. We receive fresh grace and fresh strength to walk this walk and to yield to the process. And Jesus, as we remember that you shed your blood, you shed your blood so that we could be redeemed. You have redeemed our lives. And no matter where we might be, we thank you because we stand upon you, the rock, as the one upon whom we have built our lives. And we do not look to the left or we do not look to the right, but we put our trust in you. And we declare that we are valuable, that we are significant because you shed your blood for us. And we are worthy and we are beautiful and you have seen us. And we thank you because you thought we were so worthy that you gave your life. And we thank you. And we receive the fullness of renewal over our lives. Let's drink. And we thank you because you paid the price. We thank you because you paid the price for us to live a full life. And we thank you because you never waste the seasons. Every season, winter, summer, every season has the potential to flourish and blossom in you. And so we thank you that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And even as we drink this drink afresh, we're reminded that you are cultivating a testimony within us fruit that can be eaten by a people group a generation a world an eternity God and we yield to that process and we bring all that we are before you and we rejoice because you are good and our lives are in your hands and if you have said it it will surely come to pass and your word will not return to you void and everything that you have dreamed for us it will happen because you are a good God and you are a kind God and we can trust you. And as we yield to the process, we thank you that we will not come out of our processes too early. We will not be in a rush. We will not be premature, but we will let you perfect the work within us. Because you led by example when you did it yourself and we look to you, we look to the example of Christ. We look to Christ before us. We look to Christ before us. believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 